MSW Media. So, Renato, looks like Joe Biden has had classified documents at his house for a long time. How bad is it? Uh, it's complicated. I'm Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a legal analyst. And I'm Asha Rangappa. I teach national security law at Yale University. I'm a former FBI special agent, and I'm a legal and national security analyst. And we're here to help you understand topics that can't be boiled down into a soundbite or a tweet. Hoo boy. Here we are. No kidding. No kidding. What a what a what a week. Yeah, I was uh, I was in Mexico when all of this news was breaking, and I was like, I I can't deal with this right now. So, since I've been back, I've been catching up, and I mean, where do we start? So, uh, you know, basically, it's a it's a drip 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 situation. Uh, first. I think it was 10 classified documents that were found at the Penn Biden Center um, for Global Engagement and Diplomacy. I think that's sort of a, uh, I think that's at the University of Delaware. Mm -hmm. um, and I, th I thought it was UPenn. Oh, no? UPenn. Yes, I think. Is it? In any event. In, in any, any event. event bunch um, of probably shouldn't have a bunch of classified documents there, whichever school it is. Usually it was a place that was not a skiff. Uh, and, um, but I'll, I'll say, you know, I, I don't want to mitigate it, but I will say that it was sort of a think tank research center, you know, as compared to, we later find out that there were actually classified documents at his home. And I think even one found in an adjacent garage. Yes. Highly problematic, even though, I, as the president noted, it was locked. Uh, obviously highly problematic. I have to say the fact that you heard this, as you call it, drip, 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 is a real failure of the response So uh, to it. And, and I, I know some of our listeners may not like to hear this, but I will, as somebody who responds to stuff like this all the time, clients hire me when you know, the DOJ is investigating them or they have a thorny problem. Um, I, I don't really have any um, reason I can provide for why you would be waiting um, for many weeks to search these other locations. I mean, they find out about this in November. They should have just searched everything right away, figured out exactly what what facts they were dealing with here. Like, OK, how big of a problem do we have? And then sort of had one consistent message from the very beginning, as opposed to, as you put it, a trip, trip, trip. I mean, I think they should have done something in August. Like after the search warrant was executed at Mar-a-Lago, sort of be very proactive and be like, you know, we're so concerned about the possibility, you know, that, that, that this has happened. Uh, we want to ensure that there's nothing here. And... I mean, they could have done that, too. Well, that would have been amazing. OK, th that's a level of uh, uh, together, uh, you know, having your your craft together that uh, none of, <laughs> no, no one who's ever hired me is ever in that category. But I, but at least what, I feel like what, by the time you engage me, uh, I should at least be on top of things and proactive. And what I don't understand is 
okay, we found a bunch of classified documents at your think tank office. You're, if, if you have any kind of competent lawyer or team, like the first reaction is like, we need to figure out the extent of this problem. Is there anywhere else you could have possibly had classified documents? Well, I don't, I don't think I have any other ones. Well, like, let's just be 100% sure. We're going to hire, you know, Jane Doe and John Doe who have clearance, and they're going to go around to all these locations and look, go through everything and make sure. And I mean, that's the other thing, right? They had like lawyers who didn't have clearance. And so they had to have, that was the reason for like the last two um, uh, announcements where they had, you know, lawyers without clearance who had to stop in the middle of the search. Then they had to bring lawyers with clearance. It, it was just a little messy. Yeah. And you have to wonder, I mean, it raises just the bigger issue of what what is happening with these classified documents like during an administration and at the end that is resulting in this uh, situation? Because having been in the intelligence community, at least in the agencies, these are treated very strictly. You know, if you go in a skiff, you look at stuff in a skiff. You don't leave with things in the skiff. Um, you know, you don't, you simply don't take documents home. And I understand that obviously the president of the United States is in a completely different category, but I also have to wonder, like, you know, was Biden just like, I don't know, bringing stuff home in his briefcase to like review at home and leaves it along with his like mortgage bills? I mean, I don't understand really, like why, like what kind of accountability or tracking there is um, that is leading to this type of situation. So that's a separate issue, but it's a policy issue that I think this has raised that needs to be addressed. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And Henry also agrees, as you could hear. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, but in all seriousness, no, I think that's that to me is the one of the big policy things that comes out of this. And really, you know, Congress is going to be, you know, the House will be launching a whole bunch of investigations, uh, you know, partisan investigations to try to make this seem like Trump's situation is very different. But I think if the, if Congress is really doing its job, I think that would be the question that they're answer that they're asking and trying to get an answer to, you know, whether or not there are needed reforms to how we handle um, classified documents in presidential administrations, because, you know, there have, you know, we, I have heard from some people who worked in white houses that um, the whole White House is a skiff, and so there is very loose treatment of classified information. And so I think, and that's I think at this point apparent. Um, so you know, given these these two episodes, so I do think there's there's something some reform to be done there. Um, I will say, you know, um, on a just purely legal side, I think there are some open questions as well. I, I don't think that this matter is going to result in any criminal charges. Um, for uh, uh, President Biden, uh, I don't think there's any prospect of that. But I think one open question is, why did my former colleague, John Lausch, recommend that there be a special counsel appointed, given that there doesn't appear that there's any, um, you know, federal crime that would be chargeable here? And, um, you know, based on some of the reporting, it really seems like it may be that there was some dragging of their feet by uh, the president's team regarding searching some of those locations. I, I'll offer a suggestion there. So what I understand is that Lausch was appointed or, you know, charged with looking into this under um, 
kind of a very, very like a a, a pre investigation, like like right. look into this and just you know, there's no actual like investigatory powers necessarily, but sort of like oversee and determine like what needs to happen, whether a special counsel needs to be appointed. Um, I will say that the possession of documents, classified documents, in Biden's possession and at his home, which is unauthorized, would for any other person under the attorney general guidelines warrant the opening of what's called a preliminary inquiry. Now, a preliminary mm. inquiry is actually an investigation, a criminal investigation, but it is um, intended to determine whether there are enough facts that suggest that a violation of federal law may have occurred. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, Partly the dragging of the feet, as you noted, but I think as the documents surface and maybe um, I don't remember if the documents showed up at his house before or after the special counsel was appointed, but I think it would have warranted that appointment. And I think Lausch was on his way out. And in any case, like if a criminal investigation has to be opened, I don't know that there was really any other option than to appoint a special counsel because it would not be appropriate. The perception would not be appropriate for Garland's Justice Department to be investigating Biden because there would be a I mean, it was, it's how we saw Bill Barr under Trump. Right. I mean, this is his own boss, basically um, creates the perception of a conflict of interest. Um, and so the special counsel would be there. I'll also add that given that we know that there is an uh, an investigation, at least a preliminary investigation, um, and the FBI is involved, I read that the Biden team invited the FBI to be present when they searched uh, his home, not to have them do the search, but to be present when they did the search. And that the Department of Justice declined because they believed that it could complicate later steps should they decide to issue a subpoena or obtain a search warrant. Um, and I'm not sure exactly why. Maybe you, you can explain that. But my point is, I don't know that it's off the table completely that um, Biden is off the hook criminally. Um, and we can explore, I think it would be for very different things than what Trump is being investigated for, but I don't know that he's completely in the clear. So, yeah, let's talk about that. I, I, it's interesting that you mentioned that. That was a reporting by the Wall Street Journal, and I've actually been texting back and forth with the uh, reporter, Sadie Gurman, um, or at least one of the reporters who reported that, because I told her I did not, I think she got, uh, my my, I surmise, I mean, she's not, has not revealed her sources to me, but I surmise that an FBI agent is her source who doesn't really understand the reasoning behind that. Cause it just, the way she reported it didn't make any sense. Yeah. So, it didn't make sense to me either. Okay. Yeah. So it was like the reporting was that, um, the, the FBI wanted like to, ha you know, hold over the Biden camp, the, the possibility of a future search warrant. And so that's why they were withholding, you know, having the FBI involved in these searches, the problem with that is the entire, you know, having a search warrant would just be having the FBI go in and search. So, you know, I've never in my career had a defendant or not a defendant, I should say, like a, a subject of an investigation 
uh, give us consent to search and say, no, we're going to do it the hard way and try to like write an 80 page affidavit to, to accomplish the same and like get approval to do the exact same thing you're give, giving us permission to do. Well, I think that maybe they're just, they were slightly different though. It, I mean, there is a difference between saying, Hey, you can have the FBI come and watch so they can confirm that we did a thorough search and then consenting for the FBI to literally come in, gloves on, boxes in hand to go through your stuff, right? The latter is a consensual search. It's saying, FBI, come in my home, search everything, you know, for what you're looking for and take it. The other is, we're going to do the search, you watch. And I could see in maybe that situation, the FBI being like, no, we don't want to like watch and then have you later say, look, you were there. Uh, you don't have probable cause. Do you know what I'm saying? Like you were there and you witnessed all this stuff um, and then complicated. So maybe is is that a possibility? Because I do think those are just those are just different. That's possible. And that's why I think that um, her source did, probably didn't have the full context of what was going on. In other words, if if that was the dispute, then it's really to me a negotiation. I mean, then, you know, if I'm yeah. John, I go to them and say, OK, well, what you really want is you want an FBI agent in the corner to bless your search. So this is what I want. I want the FBI to be part of the search. I want them to be directing your attorneys, you know, and essentially supervising your attorney's search. And if you're not going to let them do that, then what we're then we're not going to be involved because you are not giving, you know, but then it's different, right? It's not because we want to get leverage over you in the future. Right. It's because you were not willing to um, provide, you know, permit the sort of extensive search that the FBI thought was warranted. So I think that there's something missing in the reporting, but, and it's not, it's not the reporter's fault. I think it's just, it's probably an agent who doesn't understand the legal negotiations because they weren't part of that um, conversation. They're only hearing secondhand from the prosecutor, the reasoning. But I do think uh, we're, you're talking, you, you, you brought this up because we're talking about Biden's liability. And, and I think, to me, there's only a couple different ways that can go. I mean, the most obvious one is the exact same statute that Hillary uh, was under investigation for, which is why I'd written a column kind of comparing the two uh, mm -hmm. situations. And there's broader, uh, broader thing reasons as well why I I, I brought I made that comparison. But but you know, there it's essentially the the standard is gross negligence in the hand you know in the handling of classified material, and it's only been prosecuted a couple times. And as James Comey found, like the standard uh, is so high under, you know, under the case law that it's it's basically close to intentional. So it's it's essentially a, a sort of standard that it's very difficult to see being met here if the facts are as reported. The other is that he willfully took some of those documents, let's say the ones in his garage, because he really wanted them very bad to work on a memoir or a speech or something, you know, maybe there you'd have a willful retention uh, matter. But it's, it's I just think it's undercut by the self-reporting and immediate surrendering of the classified material. I, I just don't see that being a prosecutable case. And I guess you know, you know, I mentioned the comparison to Hillary. I, you know, if you want a hot take, I don't. I this is just my been my belief for years. I, I don't really think the Hillary the the Hillary case should have ever been open as a criminal investigation. I don't think I, I on my prior podcast I interviewed Peter Strzok, and I just don't see the reasoning for why they thought there was ever going to be a prosecutable case there. I think here it's it's more it's a little different. Um, like it's more it is a little bit more plausible. Um, but it's, it's not much in my view.
Yeah, and I don't even think willful retention is on the table because the willful retention, the at least on in the espionage statute, um, is a failure to comply with the demand to return the information. In mm -hmm. other words, the statute says that you have it, somebody comes and says, give it back, and then you don't. And so in this case, even if he had it, and even if he had it intentionally, um, at this point, the fact that they're like, give it back, and he's working on it, I think kind of takes the willfulness piece off the table. Yeah. You know, I when I wrote my column the day after this happened, I, I focused entirely on the Hillary piece. And I had some comments yeah. from lawyers who were like, no, there's maybe willful retention or 1924. And I was just like, well... I, I maybe, but that doesn't seem consistent with the facts as they're reported. But I, I just feel yeah. so I guess. But in any event, I mean, the reason I drew the parallel to Hillary is I just feel like these are both cases where there's not this is to me not a criminal investigation you initiate because you really think you're going to bring charges. And so the question is, why are we doing this? And it may be to for to ensure, you know, maybe there's a national security component to it. You know, maybe it's just to ensure to, you know, ensure the public that we're taking this seriously and we're making sure we've retrieved everything. Um, but it's just, it's a sort of case that in another context, like if you told me, oh, we've got, you know, you know, this bank robbery case, um, but actually, um, you know, the guy thought about doing a bank robbery and he didn't really go through with it or something where I'm like, well, technically maybe I could see, you could argue that he had a, there was a conspiracy and then they just gave, they didn't, properly withdraw before they gave up on the idea. You know, I, it's not the sort of case you'd ordinarily investigate. And I just think this is a sort of case like, would you really bring this? I, I disagree. I disagree. That might not be a case you prosecute, but the FBI is duty bound to open a case if there is any predicate that there's a, a violation of federal law or a threat to national security. And this would imply both, right? So they need to do an investigation, at least preliminary investigation, um, both, you know, not only to see whether there's a violation of the law, but to say, you know, they need that open investigation to take steps like interview people who have, you know, who are at the place, like all, all of that. The FBI just can't go and just start talking to people like there has to be a case open. It has to be documented. They have to go through all these steps very methodically. Um, and so I, I think what I, and I, I think that it's really important to separate the investigative phase from the prosecutorial phase, right? Um, because you may go through an investigation and then what you're saying is there's just not enough there there to like move this any further, um, in which case you close the case and it doesn't get prosecuted. But I disagree that, like, I think for anybody, it, like, there's one classified document in your house, there'd be an open investigation to look into the circumstances. For everyone listening to this, I think this really reveals the difference between how an FBI agent looks at this case versus a former prosecutor. I think it's really actually an interesting difference. So, you know, the FBI often brought cases to us um, and they'd say, OK, we got this guy with, you know, 50 grams of cocaine. I mean, they wouldn't even bother with that, but they would just they'd say, OK, we got a guy with 50 grams of cocaine. We'd be like, OK, well, our guidelines are 500 grams. So uh, or, you know, a kilo or whatever it was. So, you know, take it else. We have no interest in your investigation. We're not going to work it. Um, and so there was a lot of times where from from a prosecutorial perspective, we're like using our discretion and saying, we don't we're not going to handle your hundred thousand dollar fraud case. We're not going to handle your 50 gram uh, cocaine case. We're not going to handle this case that you could argue the guy threatened somebody. It like does it appears to be like a true, you know, not a true threat or not, you know, a protected speech or whatever it may be. And 
we were just saying this doesn't make the cut. This doesn't make the cut. This doesn't make the cut. And so my reaction to this is like, okay, this isn't going to be prosecutable. So on the front end, if there wasn't this national security element to it and there wasn't this need to like really nail this down, I'd be like, okay, this is never going to generate charges or, you know, the chances that are very slim. There's better things for us to spend our time doing. There's a lot of of crime out there. uh, So let's let's focus on the stuff that's actually going to generate charges. It may be, though, I will just say, first of all, the national security context, context is different. You have way, way more experience in that than I do. So that's the first thing. But secondly, putting all because I think there needs to be a national security review no matter what uh, to assess the damage. But se- separate from that, I do think it may very well be that, as you point out, whenever there's a violation of federal law internally within the FBI, an investigation's open and all that happens is, OK, we've investigated these 50 grams and we sent it to the state or whatever it may be. Um, and I'm not even seeing that on my end. And from my perspective, from a DOJ perspective, we didn't open it. Um, so because I, I, I don't I don't want to have to close it. So I'm not opening that stuff. I'm just on the phone telling you, nope, uh, you know, no, thanks. Uh, so it's just that's the difference, I think, in our perspective. Yeah, I think there are many more cases that are open. And that's what the preliminary inquiry is for, too. Like it may get to a stage where you're just not finding enough to open a full blown full investigation. A full investigation is necessary, by the way, to take many of the more intrusive steps, like executing a search warrant. You can't do that unless you have been able to open a case based on articulable facts. Like you actually have facts that um, a violation of federal law has occurred. And the con- the confluence of the national security and criminal piece is really important here um, because importantly, Cases like these involving classified information, violations of the Espionage Act, um, other related things like FARA, these are criminal violations that are investigated on the national security side of the Bureau. Mm -hmm. Um, They're not investigated by the criminal division. So the people who investigate bank robberies or Medicare fraud are not the ones that are handling these types of cases um, because there are different interests involved and because, you know, um, there's... You know, you have to look at they're going to look at the content of of these documents and say, like, is there any do we have any sign that this information has leaked or, you know, are we picking up anything from our other uh, monitoring of foreign adversaries or other countries that suggest that they may have come in possession of this information, things like that, that may not rise Mm -hmm. to the level of a that may not be a crime, but is really important for us to know from a national security point of view. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And that, that was what I was getting at when I said national security review. I know there has to be an assessment and regarding the potential, you know, maybe other people went into the garage and reviewed this material or whatever. Um, I think that's all very important. Uh, I, I mean, I think just to use, go back to the Hillary analogy, I think there, that was part of the question for a while. It's like, is this a review or an investigation? There was like a whole uh, back and forth. I was in government at the time, so I never spoke about that. But, you know, from Mike, my, my, when I said was critical before, um, earlier in this conversation about the opening of that, it wasn't uh, a review. I think a review was warranted there, and I think they needed to take a, a look at it. But one, once they kind of had an understanding of the facts, what what I'm being critical of is James Comey pushing forward with what appeared to be a criminal. Uh, I think it was. They, they He characterized it as a criminal investigation of what at that point. And so that's, to me, the prosecutor you know, getting the call about the 50 grams of cocaine and say, yeah, I know we want to we want to press forward anyway, even though that's not the sort of thing that you would ever that would ever be within your guidelines to charge. And that that's what I'm critical of. So here, you know, I do think, you know, particularly given all of the circumstances, this is the sort of thing you would look into. 
Sure. But to me, that that was why I felt the Hillary case was a strong analogy here, because to me, this is something like the, the DOJ is going to take a look at. But unless there's something wild that we haven't heard about that, you know, pops in this case, like it's not going anywhere. Yeah. And your your political piece was, I thought, excellent on that point in uh, saying, you know, let's compare apples to apples here. Um, but maybe this is a good place for us to pause because I think that that comparison will largely be lost on the American public. Um, in a, or I guess an accurate comparison will be lost on the American public, which really offers a ripe opportunity for exploitation in terms of political opinion. Indeed. Let's pick that up after the break. Hi, I'm Moji Alawodeal from the Feminist Buzzkills Live Pod, the only podcast that helps you navigate the news in this post-pro anti-abortion hellscape. Each week with co-hosts Marie Khan and Liz Winstead, we dissect all the news from that sketchy intersection of abortion and misogyny with providers and activists working on the ground. The cherry on top is we have amazing comedy guests who help us laugh through the rage. Feminist Buzzkills Live drops Fridays wherever you pod. Listen and subscribe, because when BS is popping, we pop off. Okie dokie. So, <laughs> so now we've talked a little bit about the, the legal aspects. And um, even if there is a very, very low likelihood of criminal liability, this looks really bad, Renato. I mean, I think from your average joe's point of view sure. i'm just gonna play i'm not even gonna play maga republican i'm just gonna talk like be like average you know um not not a joe biden stan mm -hmm. um right you know we've just spent five months railing on the possession of classified documents by trump who left office you know two years ago and here is a guy who wasn't even president, was vice president, and has had this stuff for six years, also at his house, also in his garage, and um, and yet, and you know, and, and then this is the MAGA claim, and yet, you know, he's being treated with kid gloves, and um, you know, th there's no difference. So I mean, I and by the way, House Republicans are ready to conduct investigations into Biden's handling of classified documents. Um, they're not gonna be conducting an investigation into Trump's handling of classified documents, which will be happening uh, in the dark by the special counsel. So this is all that the public is gonna be hearing about and seeing unless and until Trump is actually charged with something. Well, they'll be also seeing the investigation into the investigators in the Trump case, uh, right? right? The House is going to be investigating the quote weaponization mm -hmm. of the FBI and that in that in that guy. Yeah, I mean, look, put, yeah, I mean, the politics um, is a problem uh, for the president. Uh, I think that that you don't you don't need uh, us to tell you that. I think everybody understands that. Um, and you know, I that was part of the reason why I like the Hillary analogy because that's another case in which. I mean, Hillary Clinton paid an extraordinary price and our nation really paid a price because I think that had a very significant impact in the 2016 election. Um, uh, you know, and that was literally a, a case that, you know, I don't think any prosecutor, uh, federal prosecutor was fair minded would have brought. Um, I think James Comey was correct about that, even though I think he 
um, generally did a poor job handling that uh, such that that entire situation. Um, but I think here, um, you know, w- one of the downsides of the transparency, um, such as it is here, you know, I was critical of the way in which this was handled by Biden's team. I still am, uh, but this is certainly far different than the Trump situation. And they were transparent, and they did come forward, and they did make announcements to the public. And the downside of transparency is there; it is possible for the media to report more and for there to be more attention paid. So, yeah, I do think um, it is a very significant issue, and. Um, you know, it is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not it influences Jack Smith. I will just tell you, no one actually knows that one way or the other. None of us, uh, it's not like me and Asha, um, you know, have uh, wine and fries with Jack Smith every Friday. Um, and no one's ever been in this situation before. Um, but generally, prosecutors just sort of, you know, focus on their own cases and the facts and the evidence in front of them instead of worrying about what somebody's doing two states over or, you know, two offices over or whatever. But I think politically, I think the damage is there. And I'm, you know, sort of beyond my uh, purview to uh, or my expertise to know what that impact that has for the president. But it has to be significant. Yeah. And I mean, I'm just imagining the outcry if Trump is charged in the classified documents case and um, Biden isn't. Because ultimately, to the extent that there is an investigation, these different Uh, sections that you've been citing, the Hillary Clinton section, they are all a part of the same act. It's all still the Espionage Act. We're talking about, you know, Section D versus Section F, you know, which lawyers are going to get really excited about, you know, but your average person, I mean, it's very easy to say, oh, they were both investigated for the Espionage Act, but yet, you know, one was charged and one one wasn't. And I think it's, there's a, to me, it's just such a, of all the different, um, I think, investigations, you know, I mean, you have this Hunter Biden cluster, which, you know, nobody understands. I actually wrote a, try, I tried to write an explainer on the Hunter Biden laptop. Um, I don't, you know, that's going to be a circus. Uh, the, you know, investigating the investigators will all, you know, be also very politically charged. But, you know, this one, I think, on its face, there's a legitimate basis to investigate, and I think that then it's easy to spin also. Yeah. I mean, I really think it depends on how the special counsel, especially Robert Herr, um, handles the, the matter. I mean, if he's like James Comey, we're, in, we're all in trouble um, because this is, you know, he's James Comey, in my view, um, took, you know, he was considering how cable news was going to perceive things uh, when he was making decisions and how to handle this. I mean, you never, never had the FBI director, you know, without the DOJ's involvement, much less authorization, like on the sly going and making announcements. That was so and, weird. And it, it was very bizarre um, and, and problematic. So if, if, if special counsel her is similar, like he likes seeing himself on the on uh, the front page of the newspaper, then we're all in trouble because I just think that hurts, um, you know, law enforcement uh, and the politicization of the uh, DOJ and FBI uh, in the long run. But I think um, assuming that he handles this in an appropriate manner and just comes out at the end and says whatever, you know, I think it's, 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 it's the best way to handle an unfortunate situation um, but I think, um, but I do think, look, I, I think 
I think you know you're right. Um, I will say, by the way, about the pol- the House investigation um, into the politicization of the uh, or now what do they call weaponization of the FBI? I think that's designed to go nowhere. I mean, I think they're purposely inquiring into open criminal investigations so that DOJ says we can't give you anything, yeah. and so then you know they can have litigation that goes on past the election that you know says that you know if you just keep us in office we'll keep going at them yeah um to get it um so i but i think or I, that gives them a basis to impeach oh oh they're going to impeach garland oh something. we're going to impeach Merrick garland because he's not um i mean them and a know. lot of and a lot of progressive uh, twitter commentators could join forces right. um similarly <laughs> there's probably going to be a segment of the republican party that's going to be upset if trump uh is not successfully prosecuted right i mean you know the uh the his competitors for the uh for the uh, gop nomination and people who oh yeah right i'm sure ron DeSantis is like wants this but thrown in jail. So I'll clear the way. Yeah, you, know? you would think, right? So I, 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 you know, it'll, I do think there's, it, it's a really unusual situation where we have the president and the immediate past president. And really, I think arguably the front runners for both parties nominations, both under criminal investigation at the same time. Um, and it's just, it's, uh, it's mind boggling. It really is. It's dumb. And I hope that if that's the case, the Democrats will pick another candidate. I'm going to stay out of that because I, I, you know what, I I don't know. And I don't know what's going to happen here um, and what turns up. I will just say this. I really hope um, for, you know, Biden's sake that he has a team around him that is, he's got this together, their crap together regarding this a little bit more so that this way, there's nothing more that comes of this. I mean, I do. I think this is survivable, depending on what the special counsel says. Sure. I mean, I, I do, but I'm no political expert, but it sure seems like it. But um, if there are more self-inflicted wounds, I don't know. Yeah. And just I want to just tack on to that, that on that front, I'm not optimistic because it seems that political instincts are always wrong. Um, I think many of the steps that Hillary took in her investigation backfired on her, Mm -hmm. I think, Um, you know, in terms of being president in an interview. It wasn't it. Well, well, yeah, I mean, just, you know, like being very um, resistant or I mean, I won't say combative. I'm I'm basing this on uh, Peter Strzok's book and account Mm. of it. He was there at the front end, but just, you know, making it harder, which only made it look worse for her. Um, and I think we're that's what it reminded me of when I saw, you know, sort of the dragging of the feet by the Biden administration and not being forthcoming, things like that, right. that they're not really understanding or being, they're not playing, they're not playing good chess here, um, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it just if, for what it's worth from a purely legal perspective, what I, w- what I try to explain to clients is that, you know, there's a scale being guilty or not guilty of a lot of these crimes is not white and black. There's some shade, there's various shades of gray, particularly when you're dealing with intent based crimes, like intent to defraud, or in this case, um, you know, whether it's the willful intent to retain or whatever the issue, gross negligence. And so if you're close to the white end of the spectrum, you want to be highly cooperative um, because you're, you're what you actually want to do there is we're trying to get the Justice Department not to pursue the matter. And I just so that's that's why just purely from my perspective, all this seems off. And so, like you said, it's the political 
sort of um, hijacking and overtaking the legal. Yeah. All right. We got to hear more about you after the break. All right, Asha, you were the one on the vacation this time. Where'd you go? I went to Cozumel, Mexico. Ooh, wow. I think Have you been there before? I have been there before. I went there a year ago uh, with my boyfriend and then over the summer to celebrate my dad's 80th birthday. So it's kind of a little favorite spot for um, my boyfriend and me. Um, and so we decided to take another trip. And, you know, before the semester starts for me, it's like a little bit better time because I can't go during the semester and then the summer gets very hot. So um, we got on the plane. We were on the first flight out of Hartford, Bradley, at 540 a.m. and boarded on time. I was very hopeful. I was like, this is going to be great. We're changing in Miami. And then we were informed by the pilot that some system run by the FAA was down. And so they weren't able to get their flight safety report, which they needed to fly, and that he had no information on when it would be back up. Well, I've never heard about this. this is different than the Southwest thing. I've never heard about this. This is different than the Southwest thing. So I, of course, got on Google and <laughs> um, sure enough, on the FAA website, there was an announcement that the what's called the NOTAMS system was down. And so NOTAMS stands for Notice to Air Missions. And basically, it is a system that provides um flight like information about safety issues or i don't know stuff that i guess some airlines use to ensure that their flight plan is on track or whatever and it had just gone down it had gone down the night before okay <laughs> so like anyone who hadn't gotten that their whatever they you know require before then basically I think couldn't fly. Now, I think technically wow. that's optional because as I was also monitoring Twitter, there appeared to be other flights that were taking off like Delta um, <laughs> who may have some other way of like figuring out if there's like, I don't know, flying debris in the air or whatever Nottoms tells uh, pilots. But American Airlines um, was reliant on this. And I was like, wouldn't this mean that all flights are grounded or something? Because And I wasn't seeing anything um, mm -hmm. immediately on Twitter. And then I saw some news reports and, um, and then I tweeted out that I was stuck on a plane. And basically the pilot said, you know, you're, well, you're free to get off the plane, legally speaking. Um, I can't let you reboard. And I would prefer to keep you on the plane because right now the airport is a zoo and you're not going to find any place to sit down. So we sat on the plane. For oh four my God. It's not, for, and it's, it's not, the plane's very, a very comfortable place to stay. It's not hours. a super comfortable place. Um, meanwhile, back at the ranch, uh, as this was being reported, the FAA then um, actually grounded uh, domestic flights and flights coming in to the U S I guess. 
um, until 9 a.m. And their Twitter feed, I was I started following their Twitter feed, were like providing updates on their system being back up. And so anyway, to me, this just felt really weird. Like, like what is happening with our aviation infrastructure that some computer goes down and like nobody can fly like that's that's really problematic. that's not good it doesn't yeah, seem like no kidding wow and that's so crazy. yeah i was pretty mad at at pete mayor pete i was you're really going mad at, at mayor pete <laughs> yeah yeah I mean, it was one of those things like i think it was like lauren bobert that was like <laughs> Mayor Pete's gonna have to answer for this. And I was like, yeah, he is. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like agreeing with Lauren Bobert. Like no. Going to a dark girls. place. Oh my God. Poor, poor Mayor Pete. It's funny because I think the, you know, he took the uh, uh, an agency that you think is like all upside, right? Like, well, what could go wrong with the transportation thing? Like you just take credit when you know you build a road or something. Uh and wow, that is he's he's headed to a lot of big problems over there. Yeah, and what's really funny is my boyfriend knows um, several Southwest pilots, and oh. so he was texting with them, and he's like, "I guess they were like they were getting messages from Southwest, uh, say you know, basically saying we need to make clear to everyone that this has nothing to do with Southwest." <laughs> so like Southwest, I think was like, "Look, this this one is not us," uh, oh, because so you know, funny. of course, they had gotten uh, they were at the root of the debacle over the holiday. Yeah. Would you ever, would you fly Southwest again if you had a choice after all I of that? I hate Southwest. Yeah. I never been a big fan no, either. And, and never been know, a fan. Yeah. And there's like a whole cult following for Southwest because I tweeted once yeah. um, about how I hate their kind of weird cattle call boarding and, yeah, those like that and like, I don't know. And oh my God, like people attack me. They're like, I love Southwest. I only fly Southwest. Yeah. And I was like, all right. You know, I mean, I, I did it this time, but I'm not a big fan. Um, so I very rarely fly them anyway. Um, Same. So, but, and you and I talked about like before the podcast. I mean, I'm a Delta fan. Delta. I, I live in Chicago. Delta is not a big thing here. I, I'm American. I'm like totally standardized and American. I, most people in Chicago are, are United people. I think they have a bigger hub here. But um. What I like about American is that they do serve flavored seltzer. They do. They have, and then they, they give you the whole can. They give you the whole can. They have watermelon, big deal. Okay. lime, ahas, yep. and Delta does not. Yeah, Delta. So yeah, I yeah. may need to send Delta a nasty gram about. Oh, my serving. God. Is it Delta most? Is it like an Atlanta like hub? Isn't it more of like Southeastern yeah. airline? It is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's just yeah yeah us midwesterners we need we need a different airline <laughs> wow well i'll tell you this this makes me long for uh being back on vacation uh where mm -hmm. i was maybe for a little too long with covid uh are you catching up on everything no <laughs> <laughs> i started class yesterday and i'm still tweaking my syllabus so oh my god well you better get back to work on your class and your yeah. sub stack and we'll talk to everybody next week see ya M. S. W. Media.